I mean, just starting off, we go to a brothel. Did you expect to see that? <laughs> no, I don't know if that was rhetorical or not, but I, no, I didn't expect to see that. Welcome, everyone, to Krypton to Alderaan. I'm Joey, and this episode, I'm joined by a guest, Scotty Holiday, to talk about the first three episodes of Andor. So great to have you here, Scotty. How are you doing? I am doing good. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about Andor, especially since we've got three episodes to talk about. Three whole episodes to talk about, and I have not been able to talk about them in front of a microphone since they dropped. So tell us about yourself. So I like to refer to myself as a queer content creator. <laughs> <laughs> so I make videos on YouTube going over Star Wars things. I do breakdowns, uh, reviews, and sometimes I do a little bit of investigative video essays. With that, I've been putting out videos since actually March of this year. So it's been a very short time, but I've had a blast with it so far, and I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. Awesome. And your videos are awesome. Everyone should go to YouTube and subscribe to Scotty Holiday too, and check out those videos. You got me watching Princess Mononoke. Like, <laughs> that, those are amazing videos. Like, the idea that Filoni got the idea for Ahsoka partially from Princess Mononoke. Your videos are great, and they pushed me towards watching the movie. So thank you for that. No, thank you for watching <laughs> and, you know, watching the full video, <laughs> seeing everything that I talked about. And I'm glad because that's honestly the point of my Ahsoka and Princess Mononoke, uh, Mononoke videos all together to make people see something that they already know. You know, Ahsoka, but it's like, here's where she was inspired from. And here's literally a clip of Dave Filoni talking about I was inspired by Princess Mononoke. So I'm, I'm really glad that it got you to watch it. Oh, yeah. No, I love that. And obviously, I love Ahsoka and learning more about her and her like backstory outside of the world. You know, <laughs> like the actual like production backstory is super duper fascinating. I love stuff like that. I want to talk about another video you did. But in order to do that, I think we need to talk about your personal Star Wars story. So let's talk about how you got into Star Wars. I got into Star Wars first with episode one when it came out in 1999. With that movie, my mom took me to see it. I had never heard of Star Wars before, never watched anything. It, it wasn't on my radar at all. I was super young as well. I was six years old. So I went and saw Star Wars episode one, The Phantom Menace, and honestly was just mesmerized by the movie. I, of course, I loved Qui-Gon Jinn, and then he died at the end of the movie, so that was <laughs> that was unfortunate. But from there, I was honestly hooked following that. Every time that we would go rent a movie on the weekend, I would always grab one of the original trilogy movies and kind of just watch them in rotating order and would never get anything else. So as time went on, of course, for Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, I was very excited to see that movie because I was a bit older. And so I was actually anticipating everything as the movie was coming out and watching the trailers. This was the first one that was coming out while I was old enough to really pay attention to it. So with that, that was so fun. I loved all the Jedi in it, seeing Yoda and Dooku fight. I mean, just seeing Yoda fight in general 
and then going forward with episode three. After that, I took a little bit of a break from Star Wars and really got back into the fandom in 2014 with the Clone Wars animated series. Yes. Vindication finally on this podcast. Yeah. The Clone Wars stands. We unite. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So after that, I would essentially go home from being out on the town, going to the club at a friend's house for a party. And I would say, you know what? I'm not feeling this. I'd rather go home and watch some more of the Clone Wars. Mm. Uh, So it it was a big running joke with my friends that if Scotty was leaving, you know, wherever we were at, it was to go home and watch the Clone Wars. And then after that, that's when the sequel trilogy started. So that's really what got me back into the fandom. So I thank the Clone Wars series for getting me back into it later in life. And it was just such a great re-entry point. And it's still one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars anything to this day. There was a lot of time between, you know, episode three when that came out and by the time I started watching The Clone Wars, because I was in high school and while I was in high school, you know, I wasn't watching I wasn't watching kid shows. I wasn't, you know, playing with toys or anything. I was trying to be a cool adult. That's kind of what got me out of Star Wars. And then, like I said, something about The Clone Wars animated series, I think also with the fact that Episode three came out in 2005, and then there was nothing after that for so long. And then The Clone Wars was kind of the first thing that came out. I didn't get into it until it went on Netflix. I didn't even watch it on Cartoon Network. It wasn't on my radar at all. So you brought up toys and getting to high school and not wanting to be and wanting to be like an adult, not play with toys, not watch cartoons kind of thing. But you just did a couple of videos. You have like the opposite situation that so many other people have where like their parents have thrown out their childhood things and it's not until like they're 30 that they're like hey where's my box of comic books and parents are like i burned that 20 years ago but you just found boxes of your star wars toys in an attic somewhere right and you've done a couple of videos like showing them off they look awesome and it's so cool that you still have those Yes. And thank you so much for bringing it up, because a funny story about those toys is that when I moved out of my parents' house, they had specifically asked me, you know, what do you want us to do with all your old toys? I said, I don't care. Throw them away. I don't want them. (laughs) So once I started my YouTube channel, I was like, you know what? It'd be really fun if I could show some of the old toys that I had because I loved playing with them. And you can see me talk about it in my video and just the excitement of pulling all that stuff out again after so many years. So when I texted, I think it was my stepdad that I texted and I said, hey, do you guys still have those Star Wars toys? And I was expecting him to say, no, he told us to throw them away. (laughs) I was pleasantly surprised, though, that he said, yep, they're still in the attic. I said, perfect. I'm coming to get them this weekend. Yeah, that's a relief. No, they're awesome. I love those. I'm going to we're going to link Scotty's stuff. Those videos are awesome. I love your Naboo Starfighter and the clone like dropship, whatever they're called. Uh, They're all cool, man. They're so cool. The gunship. Yeah, that Republic gunship was my favorite. I love the Republic gunship. I still love the Republic gunship. The design in general is so cool. They're dope ships and there's ships that look like them in Andor. What a lovely segue. Wow. Before we segue, though, there is there is one more thing I was going to ask you about, and that's that you're a musician, too, right? Yes. Tell us about the holidays. So uh, great (laughs) story. 
I've been in basically two musical acts. I started making music with my best friend back in 2011. And with that, it was very much in the vein of if you think back to like MySpace era, uh, kind of that glitchy pop (laughs) vein. So uh, we started making music like that. And we made music up until about 2015. We took a bit of a break. And after that, uh, we put out an updated version of our first single for its anniversary, the 10 year anniversary, which is crazy to think about the fact that I've had a song out that's been out for 10 years. But with that, you know, at this point, it's it's kind of just more for fun when we want to do something and just kind of reminisce. And we've kind of updated the sound as well with the times to a more hyper pop sound. So there's the first piece of music that I've done. When we when we took a break from the band, I started making my own music under Scotty Holiday. So I have a couple songs out. I have been making music in general since honestly middle school. I started taking drum set lessons. I did percussion and band middle school. I went to a high school for a visual and performing arts academy. So I'm very much a musician first and now a Star Wars creator second. But in all honesty, I have so much love for both. Mm. And they're honestly both just really a part of who I am. Well, that fits right in with our show here at Krypton to Alderaan. We have one host in particular who's a big music fan and a big Star Wars fan and puts those two things together. Because I did that, I lost the segue of the gunship. So that's a bummer. But okay, awesome. Scotty, I'm so glad to have you here. Let's get into talking about Andor. Let's it's gonna do be it. fun. We're gonna have fun. This is gonna be fun. I'm excited. Are you excited? Hell yeah, let's do it. I did this last time we talked about Andor on this show, and I'm gonna do it this time, and I'm just gonna keep saying before we talk about Andor, but I think that before we talk about Andor, we have to talk about Rogue One. I'd I'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on Rogue One, and like if your thoughts have changed since it came out, and how that plays into leading into Andor. I love that you're bringing up Rogue One, because honestly, without Rogue One, there is no Andor. With Rogue One, I love Rogue One. It's probably one of my favorite, if not the favorite, Disney Star Wars movie. Awesome. I saw Rogue One in theaters when it came out. I actually saw it on Christmas Day, the year that it came out. So with Rogue One, and I think this is something that's echoed within Andor, is it is very different, but there is just enough familiarity to the Star Wars universe that makes it feel and fit Mm. Star Wars still. and. In general, with Rogue One, it was honestly just a beautiful movie. The cinematography in general was gorgeous, and it was the the most up-to-date Star Wars we had seen in so long. So just seeing the way that the technology had grown, I mean, we literally have Grand Moff Tarkin in it, which Peter Cushing's been dead for years, but he's in the movie. And when I re-saw it in the theaters, uh, in IMAX, when they released it before Andor, I thought that he looked very great. I thought so too i thought they did a really great job with like bringing him back to life but you're absolutely right something that wasn't i think given enough respect was the ability to bring him back to life in the movie like 
everyone talked about how he looked and like how Leia, de-aged Leia looked at the end and like how good or bad the CGI looked. But I don't remember anyone talking about being like, maybe wait, wait a minute, maybe we should talk about having respect for just the ability to be able to do this. Literally the technical marvel of it all. Yeah. Incredible. So Rogue One is your favorite Disney era Star Wars. Is that still true to this day? It was reaffirmed after seeing it in IMAX. Uh, nice. I was going to ask if you went back to see it. So great story about seeing it in IMAX. I cried twice while hmm. watching it. When? Tell me when. Great question. <laughs> so I cried in the scene where when they first meet up with Galen before Cassian is supposed to kill him as he's dying there. And Jin, it's her first time seeing him in years. Yeah. That scene made me cry. I started tearing up when Jin was giving her speech. The rebellions are built on hope. Mm. I don't know what it was. I didn't cry the first time I saw it. I've never cried anytime I've watched it in my home, but something about it in IMAX. I don't know if I was in my feels that day or what, but it was just hitting so good. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't get to see it. There's not one around here, but I would imagine that it's like, one, it's very special to go back and have the opportunity to see stuff like that in on the big screen, quote unquote, but IMAX is a whole other level and very immersive in that. It's also extremely loud. <laughs> and loud, yeah. <laughs> IMAX is very loud for some reason. The first time I cried was because my ears hurt from the noise, from the level of noise. I cried because of the loudness and I cried because of the emotion and then the combination of the two. <laughs> So that's really interesting that that Rogue One has now been very recently been affirmed as your favorite Disney era Star Wars. With that being said, how did you go into Andor? What was your anticipation like for Andor? I don't just mean like level of excitement. Maybe like what did you expect? Was there a bar that it was held to in your mind? Honestly, I did not expect much out of Andor when it was announced. I mean, I thought, yay, we're getting another Star Wars show, so I'm obviously going to watch it. <laughs> but it kind of flew under my radar. Like, I knew it was happening, but the anticipation for it wasn't really there. And I mean, it took us four years to get it. So, you know, that anticipation was stretched over a long period of time. Uh, I just wasn't sure what kind of story they were really going to be able to tell with Cassian, since, as everyone points out, we know he ends up dying. He's not alive forever. Mm. But... After that trailer released at Celebration, I was sold. I was completely sold on it. I was honestly blown away. And like I said, I didn't really know what to expect. Yet somehow it still exceeded everything that I thought it could be. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go into too much of my side of things because I've already done it on Krypton to Alderaan. But I think the sentiment here and with a few other people I've talked to is that not too much excitement involved until that trailer. Something really weird about this show, in a very positive way, is that I go back, I absolutely loved these three episodes. Spoiler alert, I've watched them twice now, and I go back and think about those trailers. And I've never, like, in retrospect, considered a trailer after a thing's come out. But I go back and think about those trailers, and I'm like, the trailers look like movies. Like, not that they're not that the production of the show is going to be very cinematic, but like I could just watch the trailer as an enjoyable, like cinematic experience. The most intriguing thing to me based on the trailers was the 
politics and the Senate and Mon Mothma. What intrigued you the most about the trailers? Like, what did you, what was something in there that you were like, oh, I can't wait to see that? Literally to echo what you said, I cannot wait to see the Senate. I cannot wait to see the politics because, you know, Star Wars is political, believe oh. it or not. Oh. <laughs> so honestly, the Senate, going back mm -hmm. to Coruscant, I mean, I don't count Coruscant and Rogue One because Coruscant and Rogue One was, you know, a little green screen. Uh, it was a green, green screen, a green, <laughs> a green screen window in the background like that was Coruscant. We didn't see the bustling city. And I'm just seeing the shots in the trailer of Mon Mothma getting out of her speeder when she goes to visit Luthen. The shots of just like elevators going up and down, like something about Coruscant. And it's probably because I'm such a prequel baby at that. Like Coruscant to me is integral to Star Wars and we haven't seen it in so long. So something else, too, is the, the physical sets. Ferrix, I'm not going to get too into Ferrix because I'm sure we'll talk about it more later. but. From the trailer, just the shots of them in Ferrix. I love the volume. The volume is a great piece of technology, and mm. we've seen it used super well. And then sometimes, uh, the more I've seen it, the more I've caught myself being like, oh, they're in the volume for this scene. Yeah. So I, I think that juxtaposition of the open, wide shots and cityscapes and just something as simple as background characters walking in the streets, having conversations. I was just so intrigued by all of that. I was obviously intrigued by Cassian because he's a really interesting character. And as I said before, with Mon Mothma, technically the only times we ever see her are in Return of the Jedi, where she kind of comes out of a shadow and she's saying, here's the plan, and then we don't see her again. And then in Rogue One, you know, she has a bit more of a role there, but it, it's still kind of a passive role. We saw her in Rebels, and you know, she was a little bit more fleshed out there because she had things to do that were were moving along with the plot, too. Right. But it, I'm very excited to see her. I love that they've brought Genevieve O'Reilly back to play her. We all know the deleted scenes of her with Padme Bale and the other senators, the delegation of 2000 scenes that were cut from Revenge of the Sith. They're on YouTube. If you haven't seen them, I highly suggest checking them out. It's literally the seeds of the rebellion before we even get outside of Revenge of the Sith. And then, like I said, seeing her in Rogue One and now that she's back a third time, I don't know about you, but I never expected her to really have a role in the show. I mean, it's called Andor, but she seems like she's also a co-lead from the way the trailers made it and then the shoot they did with Vanity Fair. When I saw Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma in Vanity Fair, mm. I was like, oh, we have this yesified mon mothma <laughs> not only is she back but she is yesified very glamorous she's not wearing her white sheet um and you know the and tassel jewelry so just that from a standpoint as a queer person i don't know anybody who was not standing mon mothma just from that shoot alone and then when the trailer came out you know that scene of her sitting on the couch as the doors close i was like oh she is a bad bitch we stand Mon Mothma now. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to see Mon Mothma. Like you said, had no sort of anticipation for seeing her at all again, especially like seeing her have such a pivot. What's what's seemingly going to be a pivotal role in the show? 
but there just seems to be a lot of cat and mouse, a lot of nuance in the politics, a lot of obviously a lot of behind closed doors kind of stuff, but I'm excited to see more Mon Mothma, which is something I never thought I'd say for any other reason than we've never gotten it before. Neither did I, but in all honesty, they're gonna, her and Cassian are going to meet. We're gonna see them meet together. I have no idea how that's gonna happen because their storylines seem so separate, but I can't wait to see what that looks like. Oh, did you watch all three episodes at once? Did you just beeline it through? Yes, I, the day before, you gotta. I had, I had listened to the Pink Milk podcast and Brian said, skip the intros, skip the credits, just watch it as if it's one movie. And that sounded like a great idea to me. And I was very thankful I did. It was 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I. Wow, you got up to do it. Or did you stay up? You stayed oh, up I, to do it? I stayed up. <laughs> wow. Commitment. Yep. And then I started writing my review at about 5.15 a.m. Oh, my goodness. People listening, Scotty stayed up to write their Andor review at 5.15 a.m. Go watch their Andor review. Come on. <laughs> they were writing it at 5 a.m. And it's it's probably one of my favorite thumbnails I've done and took a very short time to make. So that was like a, a double plus in my book. Oh, sweet. Thumbnails take me longer than podcast editing takes me. <laughs> so what was then your initial impression? I don't mean like after all three episodes, what did you think? I mean, like right away getting into the show looks, feels, vibes like the Star Wars-ness of it or maybe like the not Star Wars-ness of it. You know, to point out something that you had said earlier, just like with the trailer, as soon as we start, you get that vast shot of uh, Morlana one. Mm, yeah. And just the lighting of you know, you've got the lamps coming out. You see the full cityscape. It's pouring rain. And I, I initially thought, oh, God, I wouldn't want to be Cassian right now because of that rain. But it, it was it was just such a pretty shot. But it also had. Something about it had a lot of intrigue to me, too, because, you know, it's dark, it's gloomy. He's kind of hurrying through the city with his hood up, looking down at the ground. Honestly, I was intrigued right away. I was like, why is he here? What are we doing? And that's one of the great things I think about Star Wars, too, is it just plops you right into the story. Yes, that is a very Star Wars element. And I think this blended this opening scene that you're talking about blended so many Star Wars elements with like the spy thriller thing that they've said this show is going to be even like a noir spy. It's it's dark and stormy. It's about as black and white as you can get without actually making it black and white. And they like have traded in the the spies or the P.I.'s hat, whatever those hats were called for a hood. That is such a hook right off the bat. And honestly, as soon as the show started and we saw everything you're describing, I was immediately like, this looks like Star Wars. That was my first thought as the show started. I don't mean to put Star Wars in a box, and I'm super happy that we're expanding what the definition is, but my initial thought was, this looks like Star Wars. No, same here. It, it really did. Even though... It's still different. I mean, it's a brand new planet we've never been to. But right away, just the vibe of it, as we continued through the city, it, it still just said Star Wars to me. And I think something that could have helped was seeing Dayu in the Obi-Wan series, kind of seeing that dark cityscape, all the neon. 
So right away too, it it, it kind of harkened to that a bit as well. So just because of that comparison, it 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 was Star Wars. That's a good that's a good point too. I think because we we're, we're talking about how Star Wars it felt, but this show, I tell me what you think, but I think this show is again expanding the definition of Star Wars, which we have been getting here and there. I mean, take Obi Wan completely out of that equation, but this show is expanding. We've only seen three episodes and there's like 12 episodes this season and 24 overall so far, but it's already expanded what it means to be Star Wars so much. No, I, I completely agree. And so many people have brought this up, but I, I have to say it did have a more mature feel than other things that we've watched, but it was still Star Wars. Nothing. There was nothing that took me out of the episode or nothing that was said or what happened where I was like, oh, that doesn't really seem very Star Wars to me. I think it was honestly as simple as just the sets, the look and feel of everything. I mean, at one point, there is a one of the citizens of Ferrix is wearing honestly what looks like a green sweatshirt. But I, I it didn't take me out of the episode. I was like, oh, it's a space sweatshirt. It's a space hoodie. <laughs> yeah. it, it's definitely expanding for sure on, you know, what Star Wars is and what it can be. I mean, the fact and I think you had mentioned this in your episode talking about it or the episode talking about anticipation for the series. There's no Jedi. Yeah, there's no Sith. You know, we haven't even seen a senator from a planet. We haven't even seen a stormtrooper. Right. So it, that's one of the big things that I was surprised about. But it didn't take me out of the episode at all. There wasn't anything particularly that screamed, this is Star Wars. There's no opening crawl. Yeah. But it it's definitely expanded the horizon, I think. How about when the, I can't remember the Scottish cop's name, but how about when he says shit? Did that take you out? <laughs> Sergeant Mock. Good old Sergeant Mock. Best sergeant there's ever been. <laughs> He's the best, worst cop there's ever been in Star Wars. I mean, you love... The whole Corpo security group, you love to hate them. A lot of people have been saying that. I mean, I just really hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how much I love it, but they really get my blood boiling. Now, I, I've, I've watched the episodes twice and have had the same reaction to, to that group of people each time. Maybe that's a good way to get into this part of it, which is, like you said before, Star Wars is political. It's built in this political storytelling world. This series is extremely political, I think in a very different way than we've seen Star Wars be, which is great and seems to be like making a lot of people upset for some reason, but definitely like is an amazing story that should be told. But these space cops <laughs> existing in that way really boils my blood. I'm not saying like, I'm mad that they're telling the story this way. I'm saying that, man, I do not like these space cops. <laughs> I mean, it, it does. Honestly, it's such a parallel to the real world, mm -hmm. but still in a Star Wars way. Right. They're extremely frustrating. Like I said, I, I do love to hate them because they're kind of like the goofy, almost comic relief villain because they're so intense about what they do. But 
when you boil it down and look at the themes, the things they do, the way that they that they regulate it, it really does, you know, give a parallel to the real world. And, you know, gasp, politics and Star Wars. But I, I think it does a great way of still feeling in the story and in universe. But it's something that a lot of us have seen in real life. And, you know, we can really draw those comparisons. Yeah, 100%. And my first oh shit moment, I can say that now because that's a word in Star Wars. But I would say like my first oh shit, this is what the show is going to be moment is when it's in the very beginning, Cassian's leaving the like brothel and the cops are chasing after him and they tell him to stop and he ends up killing one of the cops accidentally in self-defense and then the other one the other cop says we'll go in together now they've already like accosted him and border almost called him a derogatory name and then this cop is afraid and says we'll go in together and that whole aspect of racism where you we you know what'll happen to Cassian even if he goes with this cop and the cop says it was an accident like the idea of that being presented in this Star Wars moment and whether the cop knows it or not he's just afraid for his life and he's trying to get you know he's obviously like trying to get Cassian to be on his side but that was my first oh wow this is that this is what kind of show this is going to be well, in that moment, too, it, the the second cop, he essentially is feeling powerless at that point. He doesn't feel powerful anymore. Right. So he's literally on his hands and knees begging for his life. And if they go back to, I'll even call it the precinct, if they go back there together, he's going to have his power again. Yeah. He's going to be around his people. And of course, they're going to believe one of their own. There's even a line uh, when they're trying to get a description of Cassie and it's Cyril and he goes in. It's the scene where uh, one of the people in there, they're eating the blue noodles. Yep. And he says, I want every single canary male with dark hair and dark eyes questioned. Yeah. Dark features, they said. Dark yeah, features. Yeah. And that's just right there that, you know, kind of went off in my head. I was like, oh, this kind of feels like racial profiling. You know, we'll we'll just find anybody because one of them's going to be guilty. Yeah. Yep. In the first three episodes of this show, there's so many social issues that they touched on that are just setting sort of the waypoints, I think, for the rest of the show, like them saying this is the stuff we're going to deal with throughout the course of this show. Well, we're going down this road. Maybe one of those things we should talk about is we have flashbacks of Cassian as a kid on Canari, and we see a ship crash. I guess to preface this even more a little bit, the kid's reaction, so there's no adults for for whatever reason we don't know yet, but the kid's reaction to seeing that ship crash to me seemed very much like this wasn't their first rodeo. They were prepared, they were putting their paint on, they were getting their like blow dart guns. It seemed like it wasn't their first time doing something like this. And then they go and shit hits the fan shit being a star wars turn of phrase and then the kids end up killing a human being that came with the ship who has for some reason either been yellow or turned yellow that that really doesn't matter but anyway the kids end up killing this guy 
and then Cassian is left at the ship and Marva shows up, who's a white woman, and then like gives him a sedative, knocks him out and then takes him with her to quote unquote save his life. So this is what I'm, what I'm getting at is there's a very white savior moment in this scene that I originally reacted to it in a very negative way, because I think we see that a lot in obviously in the real world, but in media a lot in a very subconscious way or sometimes in a subconscious way, because media is written in the real world and some people don't have the awareness of that's what they're writing. So it just kind of happens because this notion is inherently part of them. And so that was my knee-jerk reaction to that scene. It wasn't until later that I talked to some other people, a group that Scotty and I are both a part of, and we discussed that that probably being on purpose in them, the story writers, addressing that more and more as the show goes on. So for me, when I was first watching it, obviously I knew somehow the two of them were going to end up together. Somehow mm-hmm. Cassian was going to end up with Marva, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. So when we first saw it happen, I, I was kind of taken aback. I was like, oh, I understand why she's based off of just the words she says. She says, yeah. if they leave him here, you know, the Republic is going to come and kill him because he and his people killed a Republic officer. But as I watch her, like you said, she gives him the sedative. Even uh, the person that she's with is like, Marva, do you really want to do this? And she says, essentially, well, I'll, I'll deal with it once we're out of here. Yeah. You know, right in this moment, this is what I want to do. And I had kind of those same feelings of the white savior complex as well. And it, I feel very back and forth about it. I still feel very back and forth about it. And, you know, as we had talked about with some other people, I think that's on purpose. I really think in the writing in the show, a lot of the stuff in the show is to be made to feel, oh, well, is this really the right thing to do? Should we really be doing this? Should we not be doing this? And I think that's going to be a theme that we're going to continue to explore throughout the show. Uh, But this is just one of the first big instances of it. Yeah, yeah. It was brought up last night in the Pink Milk live stream. Everyone go follow Pink Milk. But I think someone there said something along the lines of a lot of the things that people are doing in this show, there's no perfect answer. And I think that that's the thesis of this show. We didn't even talk about the fact that one of the first things we see Cassian do in Rogue One is kill a person. And then one of the first things we see him do in this show is kill a person. Part of my expectation for Andor was getting to see how Cassian became that person in Rogue One who could do that. And then Andor just pulled the rug right out from under me and been like, oh, we're starting this show off exactly the same way. Literally right out the gate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Luckily, I mean, we're, we're getting flashbacks and stuff that will lead to seeing what led to that moment. But that was just a really interesting. I mean, it's very different circumstances, but starting off the same way was very interesting. But yeah, but the guy that Marva's with even says he has his own people. And she says, yeah, well, they're they're all going to be dead once the Empire gets here or whatever she says. But then she's not like going to look for the other people to save as well. Exactly. (laughs) You know, he's just like, he's got his own people. Well, they're dead. You know, uh, there's there's a lot more nuance to the show. And I'm not saying that I don't like Marva or I don't like that scene. I'm just saying, like, it hit me in a very specific way that I think they will address. There, that has to. I have to imagine that that will come to a head for Cassian and Marva. I think so, too. And, and I want to see that because 
you know, we start off the series learning that Cassian's looking for his sister. Mm -hmm. And then we learn that in that scene where Marva takes him, she doesn't worry if he has family. He has a whole sister who is back at the village who doesn't even know what happened or what they saw. And, you know, now it's later in Cassian's life and he's presumably been searching for his sister. He was old enough. He remembers her. He didn't forget about her. I think something that we need to see and that I want to see is, you know, Cassian kind of have that conversation with Marva. They don't seem to have the most necessarily loving relationship. Watching them kind of scream back and forth with each other kind of made me feel a certain type of way. I was like, oh, mm. that's how you guys are communicating. This is a weird dynamic. So I wonder if there's any resentment that will they'll make make it a point to bring up in the series. Yeah. I would think they have to. And also Cassian's Cassian's searching for his sister, but in secret. Like he didn't tell Marva where he was. He didn't tell anyone on Ferrix where he was or what he was doing. He's like searching for his sister in secret. And yeah, I really hope that that comes to a head. You know, it was also brought up in a conversation I was having that there's a very adoptive story element to that scene where the person instantly falls in love with this kid and wants the best for them and wants to save them. I think that both ideas can exist in that scene and something that's so amazing that they're doing in this show is contributing that to the storytelling where there's so many things you can take from each scene in a very social and political way that feels like they're going to address in the future of the show, maybe as a whole or maybe individually. But it really just, like I've talked about the scope of the show in terms of how big the world is, but it really turned me on to how the scope of the show for how social, the, the social issues, everything that's condensed into, these, into this show. And we've only seen, again, three episodes. It's heavy. Yeah, and we haven't even gotten into the politics of the entire galaxy going on at the moment. But there's already so much. Just in this kind of more condensed story, we haven't even gotten to the widespread social issues that we're going to see. Yeah, which I'm, again, very excited for. But piggybacking off of this, that scene with Marva in a flashback, back to Cassian's present day, I want to talk about Luthen. And there's another moment that had me very aware, and it was when Luthen and Andor meet. And they meet in the warehouse. And they're talking back and forth. Cassian's like, how do you know me? And they're going over how Cassian got that box that he's trying to sell Luthen. And Cassian gives the story. You just have to walk in and act like you belong. They would never think that someone like me would be in their house. It's, it's that line right there. And then Luthen says, their arrogance is remarkable, isn't it? They don't even think about us. Like he's, I mean, talk about a hypocritical statement. I mean, I get it. I get what that scene is trying to say, maybe on several different levels. But I think that that statement in itself is very hypocritical because Luthen's arrogance is the reason why he's able to say that sentence in a very serious way. The we's and they's that he's using as a white person in that situation and as a member, I mean, we, we don't know at this point, but we've seen that he's a member of the Empire. He's a member of, he's a politician. He's living on Coruscant in a fancy apartment. 
It's like, who's the we's and they's here, man? You're the, you're like, I get it. You're trying to take it down from the inside, but this is very different worlds you're living in. I mean, he's literally the demographic of an Imperial. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, regardless of, you know, what was, who was in the original trilogy, when I think of Imperial officers, I always think old white man. And I love that they've expanded upon that. And we see people of all genders, all races as Imperial officers. But going back to social issues, he's a white man, you know, and as you said, the we's and the they's, but he can walk the walk and talk the talk much easier than Cassian will probably ever be able to. He's walking through that town with his little spear out. At first, I thought that was a cane. And then he's walking through the town with that stick out. And it wasn't until he got like right outside the building that he retracts it. It's like, what? Do you think like you're going to have to beat people <laughs> off with this stick? <laughs> well, like you said, that that's his arrogance. He kind of walks in like he owns the place. I think so. Again, that's another thing I really hope comes to a head. And I really, really hope that it comes to a head between Luthen and Saw Guerrera. That's going to be a very interesting dynamic from what we already know about Saw. And I mean, even Luthen seems questionable, very morally ambiguous as a character so far. We haven't got a lot of him, but we don't know what his agenda is. Right. And we know Saw is known as an extremist. So the two of them together, honestly, <laughs> at this point, sounds like it's going to be an explosion of something. Oh, I am so excited. I'm so excited to see Saw's rebellion and Luthen's rebellion and Mon Mothma's rebellion addressing each other because we've seen Saw and Mon Mothma go a little bit head to head in Rebels. And the timeline here is extremely similar to Rebels. So that's fleshing out those interactions that I'm really excited to see in live action. But also now that I think about it, it's going to be amazing to after this show is over, watch these things simultaneously. Maybe there will be a like Andor Rebels machete order. Like watch these episodes of, of Andor and then these episodes of Rebels and, and vice versa. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about Star Wars. I, I still have it bookmarked to watch the Clone Wars season seven Revenge of the Sith like four hour cut. But that that's something we have to look forward to now is with Rebels and or and then ending with Rogue One. Oh, man, this has got me so jazzed about this show, this conversation that I might when we're done, I might go back and watch all three episodes for a third time. This is a very good show. <laughs> Literally. All right, we're going to get to final thoughts in a minute, but is there anything you want to say about the themes of the show or this, any storytelling elements that we haven't discussed so far? We got pretty deep into like the politics and the social. Well, stuff. we haven't discussed the, the real breakout star of the episodes. Bix, B2 Emo. Yeah, both of them, honestly. I love Bix. I'm excited to get more of her character. Adria Arona is gorgeous as well. I'm just like, oh my gosh. This is a pretty cast. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, it's got that very like CW hot person cast. Vibes. Very that. <laughs> I absolutely love Bix in in so many ways. In every way, maybe. <laughs> in every single solitary way. I mean, I love her character. She's obviously beautiful, but she's such a badass 
and she's like working on speeders and stuff when we first meet her and she seems so like hardened and Cassian says to her boyfriend Tim with two M's she's tougher than both of us which yes is very true and we've only we the audience knows that and we've only seen her for literally five seconds but she's also I don't know she's got this like aura of tenderness and niceness and loveliness that I kind of just like want to hug she seems so much a genuine person like I would meet her and in the first five minutes she would know my entire life story like it would just be very comfortable telling her everything about my life <laughs> definitely uh I to keep in the in the Star Wars lingo she seems like she doesn't take shit either. <laughs> yeah 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 she's I feel like she's very no nonsense you can try to mess with her but she she's not gonna take it and I love that is that, like you said, she has a very warm presence, but she also has a almost like a powerful presence. Like, I do not want to mess with her. I feel like she is a great ally to have, but she is a very it's very bad to get on her bad side. And I'm, I'm very excited to see where her story goes as well. I don't know if she's going to stay on Ferrix. Well, like you said, wouldn't want to be on her bad side. Now, the police are after her best friend and have killed her husband. And in doing so, chained her to a building and then ran away. Like, you're just going to leave her handcuffed to this building? I had no idea either, because in those ending scenes right before the citizens uncuff her, I thought she was just still laying there, just kind of sitting on the ground, kind of in shock from seeing good old Tim, <laughs> you know, get shot. So I thought she was just in shock. But then when I saw the other citizens of the town come and essentially unchain her, just watching her almost like in a trance, just try to crawl to him. Oh, that scene was intense. I was like, and like you said, they literally left her there chained to a building. And I was thinking about this back to something we were talking about earlier, the Star Warsness of the show. Tim, her boyfriend, a white guy, calls the cops on Cassian and then gets shot by those cops. So this Star Wars show, Star Wars, in my mind, one of the pillars of Star Wars is redemption. And the show said, no, no redemption for Tim and took Tim out. So I have a feeling there's some other characters in the show where I think the conversation is a little bit like, will this be a redemption story for this person? And I don't think this show is that kind of show. It's that kind of Star Wars. I don't think there's a redemption here. This is like hard, hard. Speaking of, literally, I saw on Twitter in an interview with Tony Gilroy, he, he said that the body count of this show is very high. <laughs> well, maybe we should keep a, a tally. We'll do a Krypton to Alderaan body count tally. Yes, I love Bix. Do you, were you going to say Bix or were you going to say B2? I was going to say B2, but I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned Bix because we hadn't said anything about her. And she's another one that I'm really excited for in the series. But B2 is very much surprised me as a character. I, this show has undone me. I remember a conversation we had on Krypton to Alderaan a couple years ago where I was like, stop with the quirky droid sidekicks. And now I hate the person who said that. <laughs> like, that's not me. I don't know who. Delete that episode. Expunge that from the record. B2 has changed my well, that's view. that's your redemption arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I'm I'm really loving B2. How do you feel about I know in your breakdown video you said you're not sure how you feel about him speaking basic. So mentioning rewatches, during my second watch, now I've decided I love him speaking basic. Because even though he's a droid and he's very monotoned, which I like. I like that he's very monotone, but there are some inflections at time in the things he says. And specifically the scenes that kind of solidify that I do like it for him is before Cassian leaves, when he's packing his stuff up to go meet with Luthen, and B2 says, you know, don't go. And just that little bit of inflection in his voice, I was like, oh my gosh, this poor droid. Like, he loves Cassian, and he he doesn't want him to go. And, I mean, he's literally just, like, a red box. But because his design, I would say... It's more simplistic to look at, maybe, than some other droids that we, we've seen. He's very boxy, and giving him a voice, speaking basic, I think does a lot for him as a character. So I'm fully on board with it now. Awesome. Yeah, there were a lot of B2 moments that I loved, almost all of them, I guess. I didn't have this in my notes, but you just made me think of it as a question. So let's do this, because B2 was a big part of this for me. You talked about seeing Rogue One again and tearing up. Were there any moments in these three episodes that made you tear up? So there hasn't been anything that's made me tear up, but something I even talked about in my review was Marva scenes where she's reminiscing about Cassian. There's the scene where, you know, she goes to his room and picks up his blow dart staff, just seeing kind of the emotion on her face without any words. And then, I mean, even though it was in the trailer, the close up of her crying, that was a big shot that we saw in the trailer. And, you know, it it didn't hit me. I didn't know the context of it. But, you know, watching that back as she goes to sit on Cassian's bed, his room is just torn apart by the security corpos. Those moments really got me emotional because we saw the backstory, regardless of how we feel or how it makes us feel on her rescuing him or taking him or, you know, somewhere in that gray area in between. Those moments still made me very emotional because you can tell that she loves Cassian. Oh, yeah. She still loves him. Yeah, yeah. And he loves her. I think so, too. And in general, like, I, I feel like that Cassian to her. That is her child. Yeah. And so those moments made me tear up. But was there anything that made you tear up at all? Yeah, there's a couple of them. And maybe like asking the question in like, a, what moments made you emotional kind of way? Maybe I'll cut that and put it as my question. But several of the B2 moments, but I like something that you touched on about. I want to reiterate, like that moment when she took Cassian from Canari was everything I said it was, but it doesn't change the fact that she thought she was doing the right thing and she loves Cassian and he loves her. However, if there's a team, I think I'm always kind of looking for the conscience of the team. And I think that B2 is the conscience of that group. And I think the moments that made me, well, actually a couple of moments did make me tear up upon the second watch. And that's when B2 is in the scene when Cassian's leaving. B2 is asking Cassian not to go. And he says, like, going would be a b -b bad idea. And then when the Corpos are in Marva's house and they confront B2, 
and Cyril, who is... We haven't even talked about Cyril, how to describe him. There's a lot of great Cyril descriptions going around on the internet, but he's... I hate him. <laughs> anyway, Cyril confronts B2, and he's like, where's Cassian? And B2, like, calls to Marva, and then... Cyril's like rip out his power unit and B2 says no like pleading for his life that got me hard really 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 hard I know I said before that his voice has inflection in it and that's what kind of makes him have more character but talking about these specific moments it's almost like he has emotions and feels things which yeah I mean sure in solo we have L3 and she's very passionate Yes, about, I was going to say, it's a lot like L3, yep. She's very passionate about, you know, the droids essentially being beings as well, just like people. And we don't see it a ton with droids who really have emotions. Like you said, they say they're going to pull his power unit, and he seems scared. Even Marva says, don't let them scare you, B. I'm getting choked up right now just hearing you talk. Like, that's what an impact that scene had on me. yeah. <laughs> And you talked about earlier with the prequels and Qui-Gon being your favorite in The Phantom Menace and then him dying at the end and that, having, that being like a thing. I'm afraid for that situation happening to be 2 at the end of this series and it will destroy me. It'll be K2 all over again. Yes. Except K2 wasn't extremely likable. I'm already in love with B2. I mean, I was in love with K2 for being like obviously a sassy, sarcastic, Alan Tudyk droid. Maybe I liked him because that's also me, sassy and sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't kill another one of Cassian's droids. Don't kill his first ever droid companion also. I'm afraid. He does say in Rogue One, I've lost everyone. It's, it's Rogue One all over again. Everybody dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only other thing that I can think of, and this was something that kind of stood out to me, and I don't feel like I've heard a lot of people talking about it, is almost a Cassian in Andor as a parallel to Han Solo in A New Hope, where we meet this character, they've got deals with everybody that they've made, they've got all these favors from people, and everybody's upset because they know they're not getting anything in return. They're getting the short end of the stick. And I, I thought that was a very interesting comparison between the two of them, because I wouldn't necessarily compare Cassian to Han Solo. They're both completely different characters altogether. But I thought it was very interesting and it was something that stood out to me. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. He's got a lot of like scheming and dealing going on. And actually, he's confronted by one of the characters like when he's walking through the town. And the character, I can't remember the character's name, but he's, he's like, I want my investment back. And Cassian's like, it's in play. And I wonder what he's actually doing. Like, is he just taking people's money to fuel his, like, search for his sister? Another mention throughout a lot of it is talking about money for Marva as well. Mm. So uh, there's something, that's like a very, very minuscule, like, subplot. But he gives that guy some money it's in play i don't think it's in play i think he spent it on a search for his sister and it's it, it's, oh, it's yeah. already gone <laughs> i'd be really curious to know though i mean I, who knows if they'll touch on this it seems like he's left ferrix and might not be going back 
or be going back at the very end. So I don't know if they'll touch on this, but I would be in, kind of interested to know what that character thinks their money is invested in. Like, what is the play? Yeah, he's apparently borrowed money from a lot of people. I mean, we even see the guy he borrows the ship from, and he's like, no more deals, no more favors. Yeah, the Cassian way, he says. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Ferrix is going to be a, a, a focus point from now on. Like, maybe because Bix is there, and, and Bix is... Maybe there's a bunch of main characters of this show, and Cassian is one of them, and we're going to follow him travel. But Bix is one of them, and we're going to follow her on Ferrix. Mon Mothma's one of them, and we're going to follow her on Coruscant in that very specific part of Coruscant and etc. So maybe we will go back to Ferrix because maybe Bix will lead an uprising. I love that you bring this up because something that I have compared this show to is the Game of Thrones of Star Wars. For anyone who's watched Game of Thrones, uh, you know, we follow multiple different storylines, but eventually they all culminate in the end. And that's kind of the vibe that I've gotten with this show, just like you said, is that we've got our main characters and then we've got these little subplots that may be happening. How is it all going to culminate? I, I'm hopeful that he's going to go back to Ferrix in the end. And Adria Arona said they built a seven block set. So I can't imagine that they're just going to use that for the first three episodes <laughs> and then be done with it. It's a lot like Ezra and Lothal. I was thinking the same thing. You've got those kind of main players who are always on Lothal. Um, that we yeah. always visit when we would go back there. But yeah, Ezra is to Lothal as Cassian is to Ferrix. Then maybe that's what we're going to wow. see. And they're happening at the same time. Listen, I love Star Wars. You do? And Andor. Now, going back to, we had talked about earlier Rogue One and maybe not expecting a whole lot or knowing what to expect from Andor going into it until that first trailer. How are you feeling about it now? I guess that's a roundabout way of asking. What did you think overall? How did you like the first three episodes? I loved the first three episodes. It, as I kind of touched on when you asked about Rogue One, it, it's different, but it's got just enough familiarity to, to make it Star Wars. And I'm intrigued. All the new characters that we met just in these three episodes, I want to know what happens to them. I'm emotionally invested mm -hmm. in Bix. And Marva in B2. You know, I want to know what Luthen's up to. And then we haven't even gotten to other things going on in the galaxy. But I, I'm honestly blown away. It, it really took me by surprise. Like after that trailer, I, I had a lot of expectations at that point. I was like, this is going to be great. I can already tell. But I mean, just starting off, we go to a brothel. Did you expect to see that? <laughs> no. I don't know if that was rhetorical or not, but I, no, I didn't expect it. To so this series has really gone places I didn't think it was going to go in just three episodes. And right. it's left me satisfied. Fat, it's left me fat and satisfied, but still wanting more. I'm ready for more. Bring on the next course. I agree. But I think blown away is, is my favorite way to describe how I'm feeling about it as well. I could have never predicted enjoying it as much as I do. It has exceeded anything I ever could have expected it to be. I mean, expectations always get a little bit dangerous, but and or. I'm feeling like Alderaan halfway through A New Hope. <laughs> I'm blown away. <laughs> do you have any predictions for the next episode? 
for episode four. I don't know if I would say I have predictions, but I have some things that I hope to see. Let's hear them. I would like to see us visit Mon Mothma. That's what I'm ready to see next. Uh, Part of me kind of hopes they'll do the first three episodes about Cassian. Then they'll do an arc about her. Yes, 100%. That's what I was going to say. I think episode four is going to be Mon Mothma. No Cassian. And then we're going to see the stories converge and how they get together. I mean, eventually we're Mm going to go on an adventure with Luthen to meet Saw. So who knows? Maybe they could do just like we had touched about. Maybe we're going to have a character focused episode where it's more of we're going to focus on each of the characters, get their little story, and then they're going to come together at the end. I'm not sure. But that, that's what I'm thinking for episode four. I'm thinking that we're going to visit Mon Mothma. We saw a very small contained story that's going on in the galaxy on Ferrix. And I think then we're going to zoom out almost and see what's going on overall. I think we're going to get the Empire, at least, you know, an officer or something. We might get the Senate. Fingers crossed. I've never wanted to see the Senate so bad in my life. I, I, I never thought I wanted to see it. Neither did I. I mean, something about seeing those little pods floating around. I didn't think it was something that I would miss. So I think we're going to zoom out and I hope we're going to zoom out and see what else is going on around the galaxy outside of the more contained story happening on Ferrix. Because we know eventually the Empire is coming to Ferrix. What do you think? We hear, for some reason, Mach knows. I mean, we hear it straight from him. Pockets are fermenting. We're five years before the Battle of Yavin, and this seemingly nobody, corpo, cop guy, has seen it, knows. He knows that these planets, that there are pockets of fermentation, as he calls. So there are, there's stuff going on everywhere. And again, we know from Rebels that there's the rebellion building on Lethal and stuff like that, but... Even the cops know what's going down. Yeah, it's like there's little rumblings going around the galaxy and people have they've talked about it. You know, it's kind of just little here. Oh, I've heard or oh, did you see what happened? And from what we learn in Rebels, Mon Mothma is the one she speaks out, denounces Palpatine and the Empire. And then is it her or is it Ezra that brings the all the little rebellion cells together? Ezra puts out that... um, He puts out the call. Yeah, and I think that that's really the spark that lights the fire. I don't know. I think that that's like the real uh, initiation of it all. Well, I I think we're, like you said, we've, we've seen all these little rumblings. The space cops know about it. Should we call them cops or should we call them like space mall cops? Yeah, maybe... That's better. But I'm not going back and editing all the times I've already said cops. No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm kind of hoping that episode four is a Mon Mothma episode. And I don't want to pull away from Cassian. Obviously, it's Andor, and he's a very compelling character. And I love Diego Luna. And there's so much to see there. But it really, it kind of, I guess I should say it feels like episode four is going to be Mon Mothma. It's still about Cassian in the sense that this is what he's heading into right now. All he wanted to do was like search for his sister. And now he's in the rebellion. As soon as he got on that ship with Luthen, it, the doors closed. This is his new life. And this is what he's heading into. And yeah, so I think that that will be what episode four is about. 
we were on the same wavelength there. Agreed. Okay, so one last bit, one last segment, a favorite segment of at least mine here on Krypton to Alderaan. The surprise question. Yay! It's an easy one. I am curious if there is any character we know of that you would like to see show up in Andor or not at all. That is a great question. And you know what? I'm going to answer both because they're tied together. Mm. I want to see a Palpatine cameo. If we're going to the Senate, you know, it could even be his hologram. But he's he's the emperor. So I would love to see him. I think that actually makes sense to see him. Uh, And I don't want to see Darth Vader. I don't think like I love Darth Vader. Don't get me wrong. I just don't see him having a place in the story. I think this is the one time where it makes more sense to see the emperor than seeing Vader. Agreed. Just being there as the leader of the galactic empire. Exactly. Makes the most sense. Yeah. And I don't want to see Vader. I don't want to see any force user. I don't want that to come into play at all. This is such like a, it's not that kind of show. Well, I don't know. It feels like it's not that kind of show right now. But yeah, I don't know if there's any character. I mean, Palpatine would be great to see leading the the floor there. But I don't know if there's anything else. People are talking about wanting to see Jin and stuff. I'm not sure we're there yet. But I can't think of anyone else that I enjoy. Like, I'm not sure I want to see any of the cast of Rebels show up or anything. I got a wild card for you then. Okay. Representative Binks from Naboo. All right. So put that down. If that doesn't happen, then uh, this show is nothing to me. (laughs) (laughs) Palpatine and Jar Jar or I quit. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if even if it's just, you know, we we see him zoom by in a pod. Yeah, just walking by or zooming by or something. No, I would love that. That'd be a great little Easter egg type thing. And would like, I hate to say this because I try to be as positive as possible, but it like might piss the people off who are already pissed off about Star was being too political you know throw jar jar binks really pissed them off (laughs) he deserves it yeah we deserve a jar jar comeback ahmed best deserves it too okay well i think that's it man we covered a lot of stuff this was a heavier episode but this is maybe a heavier show but i am really loving this show and i really love this conversation thank you so so much scotty for being here and having this conversation with me. Yeah, thank you. Can you go through your spiel again? Tell us all where to find you and how to check out all the wonderful content you make, please. Of course. First off, thank you for having me on. This is a great conversation and I've loved talking about it. Hopefully we'll have more conversations, even if it's just in DMs. (laughs) I'll transcribe. I'll just keep the DMs and either invite you back or just read them on the podcast. (laughs) How perfect. It'll be a new segment. But with that, uh, for my social media, I am also posting reviews for each episode. I've committed to doing that. So we'll be posting those reviews weekly with each and or episode. Or, you know, if you want to talk to me about it and not you, Joey audience, if you would like to chit chat about and or more, you can find me on Twitter as at Scotty Holiday 2. That's Scotty with a Y and the number two. And on Instagram at Scotty Holiday 2. And that one is T O O. 
And if I want to talk about it, I could also get contact you there, right? It's not just for the audience. Like, I can reach out as well. Oh, no, you've got my email. <laughs> yes. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much again. I love Andor. I love this conversation. And thank you. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later, Scotty. You too. Thanks. Right.